You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 314. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son! Hello! The three of us back together again! Yay! Yes, very good, very good, very good. Annika, have all the all the issues been sorted? Yes. Hmm. Okay. All the sicknesses have the been sicknesses. Uh, healed. <laughs> yeah. Healed. Okay, good. <laughs> Trials and tribulations of a mother and wife, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> During the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't COVID, at least we think so, but mm-hmm. uh, okay. yeah, they were both in no shape to do an episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Or like for me to do an episode, at least. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah, we mm-hmm. missed you. I missed you too, guys. <laughs> but uh, the good thing is that you're back. And Pontus, whereabouts are you? What about your trials and tribulations? I am on vacation, actually. Oh, okay. So much yeah, no, I, I have no such things, but I'm on va- vacation. So I am in uh, the, well, I wouldn't say the north of Sweden. It's much further north <laughs> in Sweden than I'm usually in, <laughs> but nor- Sweden is very long. <laughs> it is. So it's far to the north of Sweden. I'm in roughly the middle of Sweden uh, on a ski holiday. Nice. But that means you're further north than Stockholm, much further north still. Not much further, actually. Okay. I think we have about 600 kilometers to drive from where I live to Stockholm, and we have driven mm-hmm. uh, 870 kilometers. So, yeah, further north than Stockholm, right. That's yeah, true. it's about going to, like, southern Germany from here. <laughs> it's about the same distance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And what's the weather like? Is, Fantastic. is there enough snow? You don't need, yeah. never needed artificial snow? <laughs> no. Well, they have it, but it's not needed, really. And uh, we had more okay. snow last uh, yesterday. And today mm-hmm. we had fantastic sunny weather. Oh. Uh, on the cold side, if you want to complain, it's about 9 or 10 degrees below zero. So we had to put extra uh, gear on, but it's it's great. We're having a great time. So you, you've been having a great time while the rest of Europe was basically destroyed by massive storms. Uh, yes. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's terrible, guys. Yeah. That's what, what was happening in, in Poland. Mm. And parts of the UK, wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's not even uh, storm season yet. We're still in winter. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But talking about <laughs> storms, what the fuck is going on in Ukraine? Right, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you were referring to the weather or to the yeah. storms no, I... of the history that is now sweeping across uh, Eastern mm. Europe. Yeah. And the world, really. It's... Um, I, you don't know what to say. I, it's terrible... Everybody's seen it coming for a long time, and everybody's doing everything they can to stop it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Putin is Putin, and he just does what he wants to. Annika, you're a history teacher. Mm-hmm. So doesn't it look like something that was happening around 1939? So it's like yeah, ish. But uh, like it's it's people deciding, leaders deciding that this part of another country that's that's next to mine 
belongs to us now. Yeah, and actually, like, we need to protect them, and that we're going. Right, that's why we're going over there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like history in the in the making there. Exactly. I, I mean, it's. I I would say as a history teacher, I also have to say like it's not as as easy as a lot of media are making it out to be. It's not like NATO good, <laughs> Russia bad. You know, like that's not how it is. But it's also like that would be too easy. <laughs> In history, we always say, "Look." But it's still Russia bad. That yeah. Part is <laughs> well, <true>. yeah. <laughs> Let's make a distinction here. It's not Russia that's bad. It's Putin mm, yeah. and yes, his right. administration yeah, that's yeah. bad. Yes, I go with that. I go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. There are a lot of Russian humans who who are very against what's happening right now. Mm. And it's also like in, in history, as a history teacher or as a historian, you always try to say, wait, it's more complicated. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, it definitely is scary. And um, yeah, something I actually try to avoid when I'm not, unless I'm not up to date, I try to avoid the topic because it just makes me anxious, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah but still, we're all living through it in some way. Yeah. And, and why I brought up history is that in some parts it resembles to the situation when it was obvious that there was an aggressor mm. or several aggressors growing really big in Europe, but the rest of the world decided not to act on it because, oh, they haven't done anything that bad yet. Mm. And when it actually happened, it was basically too late to avoid a, a, a massive conflict. Mm. So I'm really worried about what's going on. Yeah, me too. But let's try to focus on, on the good things. Yes, mm -hmm. and there are good things because... Yeah, mention a few. <laughs> 14 new fellows <laughs> have been named by the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Oh, okay. The C from CSI. <laughs> mm -hmm. And among them, um, I will only name the Europeans now because we're the European Skeptics Podcast. Natalie Gams-Nopman, former homeopath. <laughs> mm -hmm. Woohoo! Congratulations. David Robert Grimes, researcher and um, psychoma. Michael Heap, clinical and forensic psychologist and skeptic. Yes. And Michael Marshall, who's everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very well put. Okay. Care to elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Michael Marshall is an uh, investigator, activist, podcaster, and editor. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. And they're all from Europe. Another person I also know that was just named a fellow is Mark Edward, the partner of Susan Gerwig. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so all in all, a very um, illustrious round. <laughs> and I was really excited for all of them. That's great. I mean, you would almost think that being interviewed by this podcast is a prerequisite of being a, a <laughs> named a fellow. But it's not quite right. But not quite. Most yet. of them <laughs> have been on the show. Mm. Yeah, actually, we've had Michael Heap mm -hmm. on episode six, so quite early on. Wow. So he had to mm. wait quite a long time after having been interviewed here. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The same goes for Natalie Grams, uh, but she's she's been on the show twice, on episode 42 and episode 100. And, well, as for Michael Marshall, he was among the most frequently mm -hmm. appearing guests on the show because 
he appeared four times, I believe. Yeah, I think so. The last one was uh, 100. Oh, okay. We need to have him back again then. It was a time. It was some time ago now. Yeah, yeah, more than 200 episodes ago. That was a long, long time ago. But uh, we we all follow and admire Marsh's work uh, as well as uh, that of the others. Um, mm. uh, yeah, what what Natalie Grams is doing in Germany is amazing, and yeah. she's not the leader of the, uh, the Homeopathy Information Network anymore, right? Yeah, but exactly. But she's still active. She's still active. Um, mm-hmm. she's still writing in like magazine articles and columns mm-hmm. and she's uh, still very active on Twitter and, and uh, communicating yeah, about homeopathy there yeah <laughs> All right. Mm. So, uh, um, that's very good. That's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Mm. I have another piece of interesting news. Uh, good news. Oh, yeah. It's not from Europe. So, I, so I'll just mention it briefly here in the, in the greetings. Mm. Uh, it's not related to what we talked to before, but it's, it's about GMO because in the Philippines, they have decided to launch a massive production of golden rice. Uh, this year yes and uh, of course we know golden rice is that genetically modified rice that helps preventing vitamin a deficiency and that is a terrible thing that uh, every year renders uh, about 12 million children blind in developing countries Mm -hmm. and the tragedy is that we've had the technology and we've had golden rice for many many years i think two decades or something mm-hmm. and it's been stopped because uh, no it's gmo it sounds dangerous and we don't know what it is it's scary technology and it there's nothing dangerous with uh, golden rice and if you use it properly there's nothing dangerous with gmo either but it's just a, a scary thing yeah uh, well i'm i'm sure that greenpeace will go nuts about this because they don't like uh, gmo at all but uh, they are wrong in that. <laughs> and I hope that this may be one stepping stone to finally get GMO accepted as the good thing that it can be if handled properly. Yeah, there are a lot of examples like that in science and technology, right? So hmm. GMOs are a result of genetic engineering, some, some kind of technological thing that grew out of a scientific field. So you cannot say about it that it's wrong or right. It can be used for for right and wrong as well. Yes, of course. Mm. It's like... So can fire. Nuclear power. It's nuclear power (laughs) or fire or anything. It could be used for very good things and very bad things as well. So dismissing it offhand just based on the technology itself, it's ridiculous. It's nothing but pure ignorance blown out of proportion. Right. So yeah. Good in them. I hope uh, that it, it works out fine in the long run. Mm. Mm-hmm. See where it goes. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yeah, and the funny thing is that most of the opponents t- towards uh, Golden Rise was coming from Europe. Yeah. So it does have some kind of a European connection. Yeah, and, and GMO is famously or infamously feared in in Europe and by the European Union and by politicians who don't want to give it the attention it needs and it deserves. Yeah, and I believe that this is one of the reasons why we as skeptics need to organize and try to push for science policies Mm. to be taken more seriously in the European level. Mm. Because uh, I remember a talk at one of the European Skeptics Congresses where the speaker said that they do know that GMOs are not bad at the European level. They do know. They have all the facts. They all all have all the reports. The problem is 
that they will not act or legislate for it or allowing it as long as there is a public opinion that is absolutely against it. Mm. <laughs> so these are politicians still. Right. So politicians will not act against the public interest or the, or the public's preferences, which is ridiculous. It should not be the case. They should be. They should take responsibility for mm. for what's best for the people that they are there to serve. But yeah, that requires a bit of a, a change in the approach towards politics, I guess. Mm. Never mind, but... We are here to serve. We are here to spread the information about what's going on in Europe. And let's start with what was going on a long time ago. So, this week in Skeptical History or Twitch. Yay! <laughs> and this uh, could be argued that it's not necessarily Skeptical History per se, but I have to emphasize the fact that if we want to point at a single thing in history that revolutionized the spread of information apart from internet what would you call that a book a book <laughs> printing the book yeah so yeah. imagine that at the beginning of producing books they were all written by hand mm. handwriting was prone to a lot of errors and it took a long long time so they were expensive yeah mm. very expensive so they they were they were so expensive that according to history channel before the invention of the proper printing press books were so expensive that they could cost as much as an average person could earn in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So that's ridiculous. So no wonder nobody had access to books. It was mostly monks. It was mostly religious people. And they they were exposed to that kind of knowledge. Yeah, it was also like a gatekeeping thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Because, because it was only mostly religious people. Yeah. <laughs> so printing press was invented somewhere in China. But in the Middle Ages, uh, even in Europe, uh, there were attempts made to, to, to be able to print books. But the problem was that the type that they used, at first they, they were not movable. So whenever you had to print something, you, you made up the design and then you used it once and you could throw it away. Yeah, the full page. The full page, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you could, you could throw it away right away. So no, you could, you could not use it for any, anything else. But when the movable type printing press came along, that was a big, big step. But the problem was that they were not very sturdy. At the beginning, they were used, wood were, was used for that as well, but it was very prone to degradation. So when the metal movable type printing press was invented and took to a level of sophistication that... Uh, the mechanics could work and they could be used like hundreds of hundreds of thousands of times reused as well that was the revolutionary thing to do mm. and the first ever book that was produced on metallic printing press a movable type printing press that was on the 23rd of february 1455 in mainz where johannes gutenberg was uh, responsible for that action and that was a Bible, a print of the Bible that, that came by. So that is not necessarily a thing that <laughs> uh, skeptics would appreciate the most. So you, you can say that printed books have always been fictional. <laughs> or there's been a lot of fictional books printed, I should say. Now that's the thing, that the so-called printing revolution that his whole work 
brought about, that led to the change in everything that's related to thought and progress in human history. So the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Age of Enlightenment, all the scientific publications were made possible by the metallic movable high printing press brought about by Johannes Gutenberg. So before the the internet, (laughs) that was the single most important event in the democratization of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because that made books much cheaper, much more readily available to everyone, basically. Mm. So that was an amazing step. And there are a couple of things that are worth mentioning. Because with this assembly line method of, of putting together books and just putting the, the, the letters next to one one another, first of all, it was the advent of fonts as well. I'm very fond of fonts. I I'm not sure about you. <laughs> they are amazing, but they could they could create three thousand six hundred pages per day with a single printing press. Yeah, hmm. such a difference. Oh, that's a lot. It's a ridiculously large difference, and they they spread so fast afterwards. The technique itself that printing presses started to proliferate, and by about forty or fifty years later, there were a thousand Gutenberg style presses operating in Europe Mm. and that led to the production of 200 million new books by 1600 Mm. so that's how fast it grew and it provided a lot of new material for people to think about yeah but it's not necessarily just good things that it led to because uh, arguably it led to uh, things like the the 30 years war (laughs) as well because it was uh, massively linked to the protestant reformation which was helped by the printing press as well. So there are connections that led to, well, not necessarily positive outcomes as well, but it's still amazing what it achieved. So thanks to Johannes Gutenberg, yeah, the first publication of the Gutenberg Bible that it's often referred to as happened on the 23rd of February, 1455. A very important date. (laughs) <laughs> it is indeed yeah but now the democratization of knowledge led to a much easier spreading of misinformation as well but uh well what can you do that's just the other side of the yes coin. and you have to adjust your methods and you have to be able to adopt everything mm. and fight it the way you could so uh thanks very much and we are moving on to finding out if pontus finally has something to poke the pope for again <laughs> long time <laughs> So I have a few things, since this has been a couple of weeks now, without any poking of the popes. So I'll poke both of them this week, of course. Yeah. I'll, let's start with Francis. He attended an Italian talk show uh, on the 6th of February, and that was a first. He was um, on something called Che Tempo Che Fa. Uh, Andras, you, you're the Italian expert. I'm told it, it's something like, what's the weather like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh? yeah, what's the weather like? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a very popular talk show, apparently, in Italy. He wasn't actually in the studio with the other guests, as you could expect. He was on a big screen um, behind them. But it was very relaxed and informal, and he came across like a, a nice old uncle or grandpa. And for him to be... So with the times, uh, or on par with rock stars and influencers that normally are guests on this show, that's a pretty impressive. And to do it live, certainly something uh, special for a pope. But 
he didn't do it live. <laughs> it was pre-recorded, but it was edited to appear live. So in fact, they had recorded it earlier in the day, and the network had to come out the day following and uh, admit that they had sort of cheated. They, they didn't say it was live, but they made all the appearances of make, make, of uh, that it was live. So anyway, what what did he say then? when he had this chance to be on a popular Italian TV show. Well, he said, among one thing, he said that he didn't want to live in the papal palace uh, as his predecessors did because they were saints and he isn't. Well, of course he isn't because he's still alive. You have to be dead to be a saint. But there you go. You have it from him that he's not a saint. And I wonder if the church is going to respect that opinion later on when he is dead and people start to claim that they prayed to him and the miracle happened. Because out of the last dead popes, excluding uh, Benedict and Francis, who's still alive, uh, out of the last four dead popes, three have been canonized. And uh, the one who hasn't, uh, John Paul I, uh, was only Pope for 33 days. So I guess he didn't have time to to, uh, become a saint. (laughs) He has been busy in the media, Frankie. And the day before this talk uh, show thing, he was interviewed by another Italian journalist called Fabio Fazio. Uh, Among other things, he was asked about why God allows children to suffer. And this is what Francis said, quote, I have no explanation for this. I have my faith and I try to love my father, God, but why children suffer, I cannot explain. End quote. That's very sensible. And sometimes I think he comes so close. He's come so close to realizing that there is no God. The, re- the, the simple solution, Occam's razor, if you will, is that there is no God to take care of the children. And uh, we know that uh, children do need taken care of because one of the reasons that children have suffered uh, is the Catholic Church itself. So now let's go over to um, a more dark topic here. On 15th of February, there was a press conference in Canada by researchers that researches the disappearance of indigenous children at the Catholic residential schools. We've talked about this before, and now at least 54 new graves have been discovered. Total number of children's graves found in connection with these Catholic schools are now well above 1,100. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's unimaginable. Yeah. Justin Trudeau has apologized on behalf of the Canadian government. He did that several years ago. Mm-hmm. And local bishops have also done so. Uh, Francis has said that he is very sad to hear about it. Despite being asked, explicitly asked uh, to apologize, he still hasn't done so. Hmm? Doesn't surprise me. So there we go. Yeah. Because that would mean that you actually see any guilt, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then he wonders why God lets children suffer. (laughs) Hmm. Well, God works in mysterious ways anyway, so... Uh, right. <laughs> okay, so uh, we we have the older Pope as well, still alive, Benedict, and of course we've talked about how he is being in he's in trouble because of the things that he let happen in Munich when he was the Archbishop there. We talked about that several times, but what's happened now is that well, his lawyers first said that he didn't know about what was going on. And uh, Benedict himself then sent out a letter to say that he apologizes, but he didn't lie. That's his story. Mm -hmm. And despite his failures, uh, God surely has forgiven him. 
That, that's Benedict's stance. So <laughs> he wants to have it both ways. He didn't do it. He's very sorry for it. And God has already forgiven him for not for doing... For something that he <laughs> hasn't doing done. The, the nothing that he didn't do. Yeah, yeah that's right. Good. So this reminds me very much of a saying that comes from my mother's side of the family. And they used to say uh, in jests, uh, first of all, it wasn't me. Secondly, I didn't mean to. And thirdly, I promised not to do it again. (laughs) And I think that's the kind of apology we've gotten now from Ben. That fits really well. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Right. (laughs) So thanks for poking the Pope once again. And that brings us to the news. The news that are not necessarily newsworthy in all the the usual sense, because we haven't done uh, a regular episode in two weeks. So um, that means that a couple of them have uh, aged somewhat. But Some that, of them are old and mean, not news anymore. Yeah, it's not, it's not, not new. <laughs> they're, but they're still worthy of mentioning, uh, but they ripened somehow. <laughs> Mature news. <laughs> They're very mature news. That that reminds me of uh, I don't know if you follow the Late Late Show with um, James Gordon, and he makes makes fun of their own show all the time about bringing the news in a late night show <laughs> about things that all the nation has already heard several times <laughs> by that time. Okay, so yes, so we're bringing you the news, people. Misinformation is everywhere, and. One source in particular we've talked about uh, before and handed two really wrong awards to, and that's the tennis player Novak, or Novaks, uh, Djokovic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I I just want to mention that he is still holding the same position that he did before. I guess everybody will remember that he tried to skip the vaccination mandate required to play in the Australian Open, and also that he and his wife are the main owners of a very pseudoscientific company called Quant Biores that that claims that they are developing a COVID cure using biophysical model, a biophysical model based on, quote, frequencies within the distribution of energies of free electrons along the protein, end quote. So the quant stands for quantum then? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a buzzword. Anyway, the new thing, or the follow-up here, is that he was interviewed again on the 15th of February, and he doubled down on his COVID anti-vax stance, and he said that he is still not vaccinated, and he is prepared to sacrifice uh, his tennis titles to stay that way. Missing Wimbledon and the French Open is uh, now possible for him, and other tournaments as well, and it is, quote... The price that I'm willing to pay, end quote, <laughs> which is the type of comment that will make sure that he st- will continue to be a hero among anti-vaxxers. Yeah. So he already has two really wrong awards, so he's not getting a new one today, but I just <laughs> wanted to mention this so mm-hmm. because it clearly shows that he deserves the ones he, he got earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about a group that might have already gotten a really wrong award, but I think they should get one if they didn't have one yet. Okay, I'll take it up with the manager, yeah? (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) please do. And this is about the Association of Catholic Doctors um, in German, 
Bund katholischer Ärzte. And um, their homeopathic conversion therapy. I think it may have been up before, yeah, a, I, a I long time so. ago, a couple of years so. ago, yeah. Um, and of course, because I'm talking about this, there will be um, homophobia ahead. So if you can't listen to that right now, yeah, just skip ahead a bit. And um, we, I'll try to, to keep it like non-graphic so that people don't get mm -hmm. sad or anything. But this is about a paper written by Yannick Balkans from James Cook University in Australia. And um, he talks about this Bund Katholische Erste who um, still have a lot of homophobia and other intolerances um, toward different sex sorry toward different sexualities and genders and they offer conversion therapy Ugh. yeah wonderful isn't it it's just torture that doesn't work so yeah exactly for a thing that's not a problem in the first place exactly mm. this association was founded 2004 by dr gero winkelmann who is a GP and homeopath. And um, yeah, this Bund Katholische Ärzte is actually best known for these conversion therapies. Other topics they talk about are other things they shouldn't do, like um, abortions, prohibition of contraceptives, and medical topics like stem cell research. Mm -hmm. How do you do conversion therapy for abortions? I have no idea how <laughs> No, that that's just work. like other topics. They don't do <laughs> oh, conversion okay. therapy. Uh -huh. But the other topics they want to get involved uh, in and like prohibit it. Mm. The therapies, it might not surprise us, are, according to Edzard Ernst, not evidence-based. <laughs> yeah. Gero Winkelmann himself practices um, these conversion therapies too. And he practices his Christianity as a medical person. So he is very obviously pro-life um, and also an opponent of medical euthanasia. Um, he's against condoms. So he says they even don't work against the HIV virus. Hmm. And according to him, every bad state needs a reversal. So a conversion. And this would strengthen and mature a person. That means he actually sees homosexuality as an evil condition caused, as he thinks, by hormones, liver damage, or abuse in childhood. Which is so absurd and so cruel to think that. Liver damage? Yeah. Or <laughs> liver damage. Why, why would that be the case? Why? So that's weirdly specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and in, these, in his conversion therapies, he combines homeopathy, wouldn't, won't surprise us, um, with psychotherapy and religion. So he will detox your body with globules, He will pray and um, give you the Holy Communion. And then he will also talk with you about it. And this actually led to something that surprised me because this left Edzard Ernst speechless. He just wrote about this and then said, I won't comment on it. I'm completely speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so... But I understand it. There's so many levels of stupid yeah, in this whole it's, thing. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so um, going back to the field of science, there is something that we, we don't often talk about, and that is a scientific collaboration that go across borders. And by the nature of science, this is very important to the progress uh, that, that uh, there is possible to achieve in any, any field of uh, scientific discovery. And this is why going above the level of Europe and a growing truly international is very important but the problem is the european union uh, it's not a problem but the case is that the european union has its own 
program for uh, subsidizing uh, research and development and innovation. So obviously, it can be an issue when we're talking about, geographically speaking, countries belonging to Europe, but not being part of the European Union itself. So those examples include the UK that recently left the European Union and Switzerland. So the problem is that even though there is very, very important research going on in these countries, for example, the 26% of all international papers on COVID-19 have had at least one UK co-author according to the website of this new initiative called Stick to Science. So, yeah, we we all know that, that there are amazing universities um, doing amazing research in the UK, but they are now excluded from the new Horizon Europe uh, program, which is the basic framework for um, subsidizing and uh, supporting scientific research. It's almost like Brexit wasn't a good idea. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was one of the most important arguments <laughs> against Brexit. I think that a lot of people made, but obviously the government did not really hear. Mm-hmm. And the other problem is with Switzerland. I mean, they have a problem because their researchers are excluded from the Horizon Europe uh, programs as well. And now there is not only Swiss and. UK scientists, but other scientists from around Europe have signed this initiative mm. that was launched uh, not too long ago in the middle of uh, February that was aiming at bringing together all scientists, regardless of which country they are, as long as they are European scientists. But there is a hint at the fact that it's even it even goes further than that. Now, to a, a some extent, projects funded by the Horizon Europe program can include people from outside Europe, but there is a, a certain percentage of participants that can be outside of the, the political boundaries. So now these people include those in the UK and Switzerland. So that's a bit of a problem. And the argument is very strong, I think, that there is a request to include all of these people in the European framework. And uh, the reason for that is because science goes well beyond borders. Scientific progress can be hindered by stopping at political borders for political reasons. And these reasons that we see uh, for the exclusion of these uh, researchers is definitely political. It doesn't have anything to do with science and the level of scientific discovery or scientific research that is going on in those countries. Just think of the couple of uh, universities that immediately come to mind uh, when you think of, of, of UK research. Or think of the fact that the European Spallation Source in Lund or CERN are both in Switzerland. And CERN is a, is a massive international collaboration project. Mm. So this, I think, and I'm very fond of the idea of bringing all the world together for, for doing science together. Yeah, this is, this is why I can, could imagine very easily um, a world like uh, that of Star Trek, where there are no political boundaries within uh, the system of Earth. So there is there is one government, there is one, there are several nations, there are several different people and cultures, but it's all brought together because of progress, because of scientific research and development and all that. So, yeah, 
let's make it happen. Yeah, we're still waiting for that to happen, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Regine Roddenberry would, would agree. <laughs> I'm sure he would. And it's not addressing only the European Union leaders. It addresses the leaders of these countries as well to sit down with the EU and come up with a, a deal. Come up with something that will help them because these countries could bring a lot of money as well, research money into the budget of Horizon Europe. So not only taking away from it, but it could be it could be beneficial to all. And uh, the, unfortunately, it's only the scientists themselves who so far have seen it. <laughs> so we just need to make sure that um, European leaders see it as well. Hmm. Exactly. Something that can help that <laughs> is the Einstein effect. Did you ever hear of that? I don't think I have, actually. The Einstein effect could also be titled Why the Nobel Prize hubris can be so harmful. <laughs> of, oh, okay. like these that Nobel I've Prize winners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because apparently people trust nonsense more if they think a scientist said it. Mm. Mm -hmm. People got presented bullshit statements generated by an algorithm using intellectual buzzwords to create quotes that sound profound but actually aren't and are complete bullshit. And I'll give you an example of that because, of course, I use this generator also for you. <laughs> so an example of that is we self-actualize, we vibrate, we are reborn. Potential is the nature of potential and of us. <laughs> Was or, it was it put together by the esoteric uh, bullshit generator? Yes, 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 yes. The uh, new age yeah, yeah. bullshit generator, but the new age. Um, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Another example would be: you and I are spiritual brothers and sisters of the quantum cycle. Nothing is impossible. Ecstasy requires exploration. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, what these uh, researchers did is that they used quotes like that, like the ones I just presented. But they put like spiritual guru or whatever uh, scientist under it. And they wanted to find out if the statements seemed more credible if they are from a scientist or from a spiritual guru. They asked 10,195 participants from 24 countries. And they asked about the statements, but also about their own religiosity. The scientist was rated much higher. 76% of the participants rated the scientist as at or above the midpoint of credibility in their credibility scale. And 55% voted the guru above or mid. So yeah, scientists seem more credible. <laughs> And individuals who scored high for religiosity still preferred the scientist, but a bit weaker. Mm. They also gave higher credibilities to gurus. That's not really much surprising. <laughs> <laughs> And the results are down to the Einstein effect that I already mentioned before, which means that trusted sources of information are given the benefit of the doubt because of their social credibility. From an evolutionary perspective, that's actually really smart if you think about it. Like, I don't have to understand everything my mentor tells me as long as I'm doing what he says, and maybe I'll understand it later. In this way, it's actually smart to do that. Also with, for example, someone like Einstein, I don't understand all of the theories. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I have to just give him some trust mm. to just believe him that it is how he says, because I don't have the machine in my head to comprehend what he's actually saying. Mm. That means that these bullshit statements were also appreciated because they were bullshit like because they were incomprehensible <laughs> mm. 
as the researchers say, we could call it the guru effect because it's so incomprehensible that mm -hmm. you just appreciate it because of that. Of course, all of that still depends on a person who's hearing it. Because if you hear a quote or whatever you hear, you compare it with your experiences and your worldview and then rely it to that. And people who you think are a reliable source, you will more readily accept. And that's the Einstein effect again. Something the researchers did is that they chose spiritual and not religious guru to be inclusive within the different countries. And I think that's a good idea. And what they also say is a good dose of skepticism is always good in the regards of quotes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's related to the logical fallacy that is appeal to authority, right? Yes. You shouldn't yes. believe it just because this and that person said it. And, and this is difficult because on the other hand, we skeptics, we know that you need to trust experts But you mm. shouldn't trust every single expert. You should mm. trust the consensus of the experts, right? Mm. That yeah, is exactly. the best bet of what is correct. They can still be wrong. That has happened, but it's less likely. But be careful when, when uh, trusting just one specific person and, and believe that everything he says is true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but sometimes um, other sources are not necessarily that trustworthy, even especially if they are very old, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, because this uh, last item of the news item, this is not really a news item because it's about history. It's not even skeptical in a way, but I wanted to talk about it anyway because I like it <laughs> and it was interesting. And uh, it is about trusting historical facts and the history as we are taught it. We've all heard about how the Black Plague wiped out a third of the population in Europe. It's well established in the history books, and that's something you learn in, in, in school. But the fact is that we only have contemporary written accounts about this from certain areas. For instance, we don't have that from Poland and from some other regions as well. There was a new study in Nature, the, the paper, where researchers had looked at this from a different angle. Instead of relying only on written accounts, I wouldn't say that the plague is based only on written accounts. There's pretty a lot of other physical evidence as well. But what they looked at was pollen and vegetation. Because they were reasoning like if a third of the population was wiped out, Farming should have suffered and fields should have been overgrown with weeds. And you can see that in if you analyze what pollen and vegetation you have from certain areas, from certain areas and certain times. What they say they have discovered is that there were parts of Europe where the human landscape shrunk dramatically after the Black Death, which is what you would expect. This was the case, for instance, in southern Sweden, in central Italy and in Greece. But in other regions, like Catalonia and Czechia, there were no discernible decrease in human pressure on the landscape. In others yet, such as Poland and the Baltic countries and central Spain, labor-intensive cultivation even increased, so that agricultural expansion continued uninterrupted throughout the Middle Ages. This means that perhaps the Black Death wasn't quite as universally devastating everywhere as we have been taught, And it makes also sense. If you look at the written records, we would have a lot of records of how bad it was from certain places. 
But in places where it wasn't so bad, nobody would have written it down. You, you don't you don't put an entry in your diary saying today we didn't have a black plague. You just don't mention it. So, <laughs> and anyway, written records have largely disappeared. So you don't know. I'm I'm sure this is not the last word, but it is interesting when people find a new way to look at things that we think of as established truth and say, hey, maybe we should look at this in another way and uh, maybe there's more behind it and more complicated than we have thought. But definitely further research is needed. I'm not sure that they are quite yeah, right. It's one of but, those. They, um, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's You can never really establish a counter-argument hmm. for something that's so well established based on any kind of records with hmm. proxy evidence. Hmm. And that's basically that. So it's not hard evidence that it no. didn't happen. And you need that to yeah. go against something that's so well established. So it's very interesting. It's I think it's exciting. Yeah, me too. Because who cares if it wasn't the case? What's important is what really happened. Yeah, mm -hmm. we need to find mm -hmm. out the truth. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. That brings us to the end of the news cycle. But I, I have other news. Hot of the presses, <laughs> which is, I think, very suitable to say on this episode. Hmm. We just received an email by uh, Babel Winkler, whom we interviewed on the last episode. And I have to say that this is the moment when you feel like this is absolutely worth doing. So she says that since the podcast and the blog post went out live on Friday, she received several offers to help with translations of oh, great. Uh, some of the projects. So that's good. Several offers from Sweden, three from Hungary, and French, Spanish, and Czech volunteers mm. appeared on the radar as well. Absolutely amazing. I'm nice. So happy mm -hmm. for th about yes. that. So, really good. That means that I would like to repeat the call here. Anyone mm -hmm. listening here, go back and listen to last week's episode. If you don't have the time, just check out Babel's blog post about the call for translations of all the different projects of Skeptical Science, which is an amazing website, very well-researched projects, uh, including the Debunking Handbook, the revised version of the Debunking Handbook, the Conspiracy Theory Handbook, the COVID-19 Vaccine Communication Handbook, etc., etc. So many things that are worth translating into all languages out there. If you're happy to volunteer and offer some of your time and work and put it into good use, you should get in touch with either us or directly with Babel Winkler, who's responsible for coordinating all these projects. Great. Yeah, well done. And I, I can't emphasize enough how amazing the work that she does is. I think it's on par with, uh, with what Susan Gerbic does with the Wikipedia editing mm -hmm. team. It's very, very important. And it's, it has an amazingly important effect on how we do scientific outreach. If we put them together, it will like something amazing will happen or something really bad. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Oh, by the way, if you feel like editing Wikipedia and doing that in your own language, there is demand for your work. So get in touch with Susan Gerbic or with us. That's a very good idea as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But moving on to the last segment, which is when we find out who's been really wrong or really right lately. 
Yes, but before we go into this week's reward, we want to, I want to revisit an old, what do you call it, Hall of Shame person. This is very related to the Einstein effect, Annika. Luc Montagnier, yeah. French researcher, he has received the really wrong award three times mm-hmm. for being anti-vax, for uh, crazy COVID things, and for spreading misinformation about... I mean, he claimed that SARS-CoV-2 is manufactured from HIV, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He is a bad guy. He was a bad guy because the news is that he actually passed away, which we are not, of course, happy for. We don't want anybody to die. He was 89 years old, so he had a good run, as they said, or a long run anyway. But at least he won't be spreading that misinformation anymore. But he was a hero among the anti-vaxxers in France and maybe elsewhere as well. And I'm sure... People will appeal to him using the Einstein effect, perhaps, for a long time. Anyway, he has passed away. Mm. Now, on to this week's news. We have given Facebook the really wrong award once, but now I think Meta, as it's now called, is overdue for another one. For two things combined, well, at least two things, I think, I'm not depending on how you count. And it's all about spreading misinformation. Research has revealed that French anti-vaxxers are buying fake vaccine passes online to get around the country's COVID restrictions. And they find these fake products because they are promoted on uh, mainstream social media platforms. And of course, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about Instagram, it's all owned by Meta. The report raised concern that uh, social media algorithms are automatically directing people to... If you're disillusioned with the French government's handling of the pandemic, you are directed towards far-right online spaces where these things are promoted. Instagram's algorithm is actually recommending accounts that are offering fake vaccination services. So that if you're a person who's following a couple of accounts with COVID disinformation or anti-vax content, this algorithm will recommend accounts that you should follow And those accounts are offering fake passes. Completely opposite towards what they should do and also towards what they say they are doing. Because Meta says that they prohibit anyone from buying or selling fake or even genuine medical documents on its platform, including COVID vaccine certificates. And Meta also added that it would remove adverts when identified and disable any accounts, pages or groups that breaks its rules. Well, they say that, but the French researchers found that they're doing the the opposite. They are actually directing people towards these resources. Then, in related news, other investigators in Sweden have found that people on Instagram often get redirected to get-rich-quickly scams with roots in US-based Ponzi schemes. They especially point out a company called IM Mastery Academy. IM Mastery Academy have been banned from offering financial services and products in Belgium and has been the subject of warnings in France, Spain, the UK, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Peru and Colombia. And I'm not sure I have all the countries listed there. (laughs) 
The Belgian Financial Supervisory Authority justified the ban by saying that the company, quote, shows characteristics that are typical of a pyramid scheme, end quote. Still, Instagram has no problem with influencers marketing these things to young followers. At least in Sweden, probably elsewhere as well. Yeah. So, because there's no relation between what Meta says and what Meta does when it comes to stopping misinformation, they get today's award for being really wrong. Well deserved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But wait! <laughs> the show is not over because Wait, I have a really right of award as well to hand out. <laughs> so this is from Sweden where, as in many other places, there are strict rules around so-called health claims and they are now being enforced better in Sweden. Manufacturers must be able to show that the food that they sell really has the effect that they claim. This may involve the use of words such as active or force and other things. And for new products coming onto the market, this rule has already been in place since some years back. The change now applies also to products that existed before, well, I said some years, but it's before 2005. So because these older products have so far been excluded from these rules. But now, if the manufacturers cannot prove that the product really affects your health for the better, they will be forced to change the name of the goods, well, the, or at least the marketing of the goods. The state inspector at the National Food Administration in Sweden, Ulrike Andersson, had this to say, quote, It is good that the rules are uniform. The risk is reduced that you as a consumer will be misled by the names of these products, end quote. So it's the names and also the claims associated with these products. But there's still some things you can say, and I want to mention that. (laughs) This is a list of approved health claims, examples only. Quote, fluoride helps maintain the mineralization of your teeth, end quote. Okay, that's fine. That's not so sexy, and it's actually true, scientifically true. (laughs) So you can say that. Another thing you can say is that rye fiber contributes to normal intestinal function, end quote. Okay, fine. Here's one that I don't think anybody will put on their packages, uh, say, <laughs> quote, sugar beet fibers help increase stool volume, end quote. I don't think that's sexy at all. I don't think you will see that appearing on any food packages soon, <laughs> but it is allowed to put there. So that's good. Anyway, it's good that they get things straight, and I think it's very good that the so-called new rules now also apply to uh, food that has been sold for a long, long time. So there's no longer an exemption for old products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for getting the rules on health claims straightened out, the Swedish authorities get today's prize for being really right. Mm-hmm. Well deserved, yeah. That also <laughs> well deserved. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So some it's some good, good news on this episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always good and and very uplifting to see authorities taking responsibilities. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because and, it's so uh, rare, right? Yeah, doing what <laughs> they're supposed it's to do. Not often enough, anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, but that brings us to the end of the show, which means that before we go, we need a quote. Yes. And the quote 
is from our uh, Twish person. <laughs> okay. The Twish Johannes person of today. Yes. Mm. Twish person. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg. And he said, It is a press, certainly, but a press from which shall flow an inexhaustible stream. Through it, God will spread his word. A spring of truth shall flow from it. Like a new star, it shall scatter the darkness of ignorance and cause a light heretofore unknown to shine amongst men. Ooh, very poetic. Yes. <laughs> If not, but not entirely true, of course, uh, because just like today's internet that you talked about, you compared it to before, Andras, misinformation can be printed yeah. as well. So, and has been. And, uh, I yeah, guess just like that, it's some, something that you can read. That's misinformation. There's something that you can read is the word of yeah. God. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> basically <laughs> I still found it fitting because I like the poetic with poetry with a star. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we need to be able to spread information. And the prize mm -hmm. is that enabling information to be spread, we're also enabling some misinformation. And we have That's to... That's right. It's worrying but you can't just shut down information that wouldn't be yeah. the solution no definitely not all right that definitely brings us to the end of the show and but but also before we go i would like to say that next week i'm going to be in dubai Ooh. hopefully a couple of months ago i was going to <laughs> but <laughs> i was stopped on my tracks by uh, covid hitting my household mm -hmm. however this weekend it's more than likely happening That means that I'll be in Dubai with a one-day visit to Abu Dhabi. So if someone from around there would like to meet up with me, would like to meet a fellow skeptic, I know and understand that there are people from all over Europe and all over the world in Dubai. So get in touch with me on our email or you can write to me at andrash at the esp.eu. So yeah, I would be happy to spend some time with like-minded people in the united arab emirates uh but that is all for today thank you very much Anika and pontus for joining me today thank you thanks a lot many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye tschüss hello vislat This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe No chipmunk, bear I'm gonna do bear instead of chipmunk <laughs> Are you sitting on it too? Like Putin <laughs> Alright Yeah, you have to do bear <laughs> <laughs>
Otherwise, it doesn't sound very serious enough. <laughs> sinister enough. Sinister. Oh, the sinister. That was the word I was looking for. Moving on to the last segment, which is when we find out who's when we find which is when we find out who's been really wrong or really late. Finally <laughs> really late. <laughs> that's contrast. Yes, that's getting it is really, really late. Really late. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sorry. Fucking hell. <laughs> <clears throat> 